Um, a picture's going to appear on the screen, and I'm wondering whether somebody can actually tell me who it is. Blondin, yeah. And what was he famous for? Walking across the Niagara Falls. Yeah, in 1860, he was the first person to walk between the American and Canadian side of the falls on a tightrope. Not only walking on a tightrope, he went over in a sack, he went over on a bicycle, he went on a chair, he went blindfolded, he went in the dark. Any possible way I think that guy could get over there, he did. And obviously it attracted loads of crowds, people would come and cheer him, they'd come and chant his name, like I'll be doing it at the Albion later, as Star Striker, Blondin, Blondin, you know. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening to this, I am coming to see you later, so it's okay. Um, but he, <laughs> he, um, he had crossed the falls anyway, and so um, he took, went over with a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes was the last thing that he did, and everybody was cheering and going crazy. And he came over and he said, um, who thinks I can take somebody over in this wheelbarrow across the falls? And all going, yes, Blondin, of course you can. We believe, we believe. You're the best tightrope walker in the whole of the world. Of course we believe you can do that. And then he said, so who's going to get in my wheelbarrow? <laughs> and I think he had the response that a lot of you have just had, really. <laughs> and that is really the question we're going to ask this morning in week three of As Good As It Gets. Who is going to get into God's wheelbarrow? Isn't it great and such a pleasure and a privilege that, do you know what, years ago, um, I used to love it when I took be able to get in my car and put on a cassette player, because I had one in my first car, but then a CD player, and you put a worship CD on it, you just lose yourself in it. Isn't it awesome that we have a gifted group of musicians and singers here that, that we, it almost is like having the CD on in your car. And I just think, isn't that awesome that, that, you know, we are normal human beings from normal walks of life that can come together in one place and just present just a beautiful sound to God this morning. Thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate that. And so this morning we're on, we're on week three of As Good As It Gets. And there's a really, really old story about a guy that was taking a walk across a cliff and uh, there's a huge gust of wind and the wind blew him and he fell over the cliff, right over the side. But fortunately for him, a tree caught him. And so he's lying in the tree and he brings himself round and he suddenly shouts, is there anybody up there? Is there anybody up there that can help me? I'm down here in a tree. Please, please, can anybody help me? Can you hear me? And there's a voice that says out of nowhere, I can help you. I can help you. And the man just lies there for a minute and just then th thinks and says to himself, is that God? Is that you, God? And God said, yes, it's me. It's me, I can help you. And the man starts to say, do you know what? God, if you can get me out of this tree and get my feet back on solid ground, I will follow you for every day for the rest of my life. I will never do anything wrong again. I will go to church every Sunday. I will help everybody I can every time I see them. Just get me out of this tree. And God says, whoa, mate, before we start making any promises here, let's talk about that once your feet are on the ground. And the guy says, oh, okay, okay. So God says to him, are you ready? And the man says, I'm ready, God. He went, no, really, really, are you ready? And, God, and the man says, yes, I'm ready. And so God says to him, just let go. And the man just lies there. And God says, just let go. And there's a few minutes silence. And then the man says, is there anybody else up there? I'm stuck in a tree. Can anybody help me? And I think that is just a perfect illustration of what I want to talk to us about this morning about trust. Is actually, and that really does, is an illustration of how my trust relationship goes with God sometimes. 
And uh, over week one, if you've been here, this is your hat-trick week. Well done. Um, week one was Leon and taking a step forward to full, you know, as good as he gets when he's take a step. Week one, crossing the Jordan, if you remember. Week two, last week, Andy did such a great job on the walls of Jericho and about battling through. And this week is about fully trusting. How do we fully trust God? And I don't know whether you've noticed, but over the previous two weeks, it's been about groups of people. So a group of people crossed the Jordan. You know, um, somebody, yes, put their feet in the water first, but there were thousands of people crossing that river. And I don't know about you, but I could join a queue of thousands. I could join a queue of thousands very easily. And then last week, Joshua had them walking around the walls, thousands of them walking around. I can walk around in circles with you lot. I can do that. But actually, this is about what happens when it's me and God, when it's individual when it doesn't depend on whether you do it, or you do it, or you do it, but it depends whether I do it, how does it look then? How does my relationship with God look then? And we're going to look at a really weird story this morning about a guy called Aiken, and about a battle that took place for a place called AI. And I want to encourage you as well this morning is to go back home and read through Joshua and read around the stories that we're bringing. We've only got four weeks, five weeks really to bring this stuff out. And there's such great stuff in that book. And, you know, God will speak to you. That's what I love about the Bible is that I won't have a chance to give everything that, that God may have shown me, but the stuff that God will show you that I will not have seen. And I want to really encourage you to, to get into that book and start reading around what we're talking about this morning. But before we get into that, I bet some of you are wondering about the door. And I bet some of you have never even noticed there's a door there, have you? Which is a bit more worrying. But actually, I wanted to ask you about how do you enter a room? How do you go into a room? And you might say to me, well, Jane, depends on the room I'm going in. But actually, how do you enter a room when you don't know who's on the other side or what's going on? How do you enter a room then? You see, I'm an introvert. I probably tick a load of boxes about being an introvert. So I'm never fully in the room. I'm never fully in there. I may attend, but actually... You're going to find me on the edges somewhere. But you see, all, most of my close friends are extroverts. So they're like, da-da, we're here, come on, let's go, we're in the party, let's make this thing happen, filling the space, actually fully present, overly present sometimes, but fully <laughs> present. And then there's me, who is looking for every opportunity to leave. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that's like that. But I'm never fully in that door. Because that door is the door in my mind. And I go in and out of that door hundreds, maybe thousands of times a day. Because I want to be in the room, but then I can't stay in there long enough, I have to come out again. Because on the outside of this door, in my mind, is fully trusting in God. And I want to be in there. So I will do everything I can to be inside that room. But on the other side of the room is, it's better when you're in charge. It's better when you know what's going on. It's better when you have control. So I come out again. And this is like a revolving door for me. I want to fully trust God. I want to fully be in there. I want to fully have everything he's got for me. I'm going to go on this great journey with God. Oh, hang on a minute, that's a bit scary. We'll just come out again. And because it's much, much more comfortable when I've got my hands on the wheel. And that door is my trust relationship with God. That's how it works for me. But my heart wants to be back in the room. And I think what I'm doing when I'm going through these emotions is what I'm saying to God is, I'm going to give you some things 
but I'm giving me everything. I'm going to trust you with some things, but I'm trusting me with everything. And that's exactly what's going on in my brain all the time. All the time. So we're going to take a look at this story and see what we can pick out this morning. It's quite a lengthy passage, but stay with me because it's all in the detail. So it's Joshua chapter 7, but we're going to take the last verse of chapter 6, which is where Andy finished last week, because that's a key verse. So starting at Joshua chapter 6, verse 27 says this. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. But... The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out that region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up there. Send two or three thousand men to take it. Don't weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, and I love this, Stand up. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. You can breathe now. It's a bit of a chunky monkey passage, isn't it? But actually, there's some really good stuff in this this morning that God really wants to bring out for us, I believe. And the background to this is the people across the Jordan. They've brought down the walls of Jericho. Everything has been going swimmingly so far. Everything has been a victory. Everything has gone to plan. So AI should have been a doddle. It should really have been a pushover. 
But this defeat left 36 people dead and a whole nation running. A whole nation running. So what happened? So I want to suggest just two reasons really that I think happened. One is this. They didn't ask God before they went into battle. And there's something really important in this because we're at our most vulnerable after our greatest success. We're at our most vulnerable after our greatest success. And we tend to start believing our own strength, don't we? In our own wisdom, in our own strategies. Because I don't need God as I needed him before because I've matured. I've got it together. I know how this whole thing works now. I've become arrogant and proud because I know better. And with this came the belief and assumption that they were beyond defeat. 36 people dead, a whole nation running. The second reason is this. One man, Achan, didn't do what God had told them to do, which was don't touch the stuff. That's all God had said to them. Don't touch the stuff. Don't touch the stuff. A bit like I say to Oliver, our cat, don't touch it, leave it alone. Don't go anywhere near it. But he does because he's a cat. And... And literally, but I, we react like that sometimes. It's like, oh, but I want to touch it. and oh, I just, oh, It looks so shiny and oh, I just want to go over here and play with it for a little bit. And, and that's what we do. And one man did this. And this story was kept in the Bible for a reason, I believe. And the reason is found in the first two verses that we read, which is the so in chapter six with Jericho very quickly became the but in chapter seven. And a huge journey happened for the people between those two words. You see, trust is saying God is enough. Trust is literally saying, God, you're enough. You're more than enough, actually. And this has been the message throughout Joshua so far. Who opened the river? Who kept the people dry? Who brought the walls down? God. God did all of that. But it's not really hard to recreate ache and stumble, is it? It really isn't that hard to imagine. The walls came down, there's rubble everywhere, the plunder's everywhere, it looks fantastic. They all, mark, all run in, thousands of them upon thousands of them. And all the treasures of Jericho lying there unprotected. Everybody saw it. Everyone remembered God's command. But one person touched it. They saw it and kept walking, but not Achan. And you might think it was harsh, what God told them to do. But you see, he knew what would happen. If the soldiers touched the stuff, they'd start trusting the stuff more than trusting God. Others saw, others wanted. Achan took it. Why? And I think there are three reasons. I think these are three reasons that really we can put into our own lives this morning. The first one is this. Maybe Achan wanted a nest egg, you know, a just-in-case pot, a bit of a deposit on the side in case it all went pear-shaped and he'd got something stored away. You can insure against anything these days, can't you? have insurance or anything. And I think that was a bit of Aiken's insurance. But have you ever thought that he could never wear the robe? He could never spend the money? He took things that were going to be of no benefit to his life whatsoever because people would have known where they got it from. It would always have to be buried, always have to be hidden, always have to be stolen away. Maybe it was through fear. Maybe he was frightened. He got a family to, to protect. He got a family to provide for. And when we're unsure and when storms hit our lives, guys, and when we, we don't know really which way to turn, we look for the thing that appears to be the safest bet for me to put my trust in. We look for the safest bet. And for Aiken, that was money and possessions. Maybe for us, it might be God or Visa. 
Because when fear runs right, it clouds my perspective. It makes me blind to things. I start making decisions and choices that I would never normally make. Never normally make. I become impulsive and I become foolish. But there are two words in my Bible that I've never read and I will never see in there. And these are the two words God panicked. Never read them. You will never see them. He never said to me, okay, Jane, now's the time to panic. We need to panic. We need to run around and just, oh, like a Muppet and just, uh. you'll never see that in the Bible. God never panics. Never, never panics. So maybe Aiken was a control freak. Any control freaks in the room this morning? Anybody have to have control of the remote control? Anybody a backseat driver? Anybody think any decision I make is the best one? Do you believe that things will go better when you are in charge? And that can be so dangerous in our relationship with God. And there was a man travelling home with his wife. It must have been in the 1800s because they were going home in a horse and carriage. He was in control of the horse. And um, something must have spooked the horse and the horse reared up. And so the guy was fighting the reins, you know, trying to pull the horse back in. But then his wife got a bit scared. And so he, she was trying to grapple the reins off the husband who was trying to control the horse. And um, so now the man was not only trying to control the situation, he was trying to control his wife. It made it doubly difficult. And as I read that story, I felt God saying, that's you, that is. That's nice, isn't it? That's you, that is. I'm so trying to sort this situation out for you, Jane. I'm going to manage you as well. So I've got one hand on you, one hand on the reins. This isn't really going to work out well, is it? And that is just like my relationship with God. Sometimes it's harder for God to manage me than the situation I'm actually in. And it's not hard to trust God with certain things, is it? We can find certain things really easy, but other things we find really, really impossible. But wherever we are with God this morning, I want to say, whether you're exploring, whether you're checking it out, whether you're seeing what this whole God deal is all about, whether you've recently made a, you know, a decision to follow Christ, or whether you've been following him for 50 or 60 years, we are still on this process of a trust journey with God. And we can move on this morning. We can move on this morning. But I want to be honest with you. The truth is that I can be aching. I can be aching because I can see, I can want, but then I can take and then I can hide. I can do all of those things. Do you think Aiken wanted his life to be like that? Do you think he woke up in the morning thinking, do you know what, I'm going to rob that place. When we go in there, I'm going to take as much as I can and I'm going to bury it. I don't think he did. I think he saw it, he got distracted, something glittered. It was like, oh. And before he knew where he was, he'd picked the stuff up, he took it home, he thought, what am I going to do with it now? I'm going to have to bury it. I can't do anything with it. Because we all want to do what's right, but when the rubber hits the road, sometimes when we're near the point of commitment, when we're near the point of fully entering into the room, when we're nearly fully in there, and we want to give ourselves, the truth is we want to keep our options open. We want to keep our options open. We want an escape route if push comes to shove, don't we? We want a way out. Even if I know it wouldn't be the choice that God would have for me. Even though I know that. I want to walk with God. I want to give him control. But when I'm faced with the crossroads of decision sometimes, I wonder, can I trust God to take care of me? And that's the question we ask ourselves. Doesn't matter how many Jordans we've crossed, how many Jerichos have come down, I would actually stay 100% in this room that every time we come to something like that, we think, God, can you take care of me in this? 
can you really, really take care of me in this? So I'm in a tricky situation, maybe. Maybe it's one where, you know, if I told a little white lie or exaggerated the truth a little bit, I could get out of it. You know the kind of situations I mean. What do I do? Do I pray about it? Do I invite God to help me do the right thing? If I'm honest with you, often not straight away. Often not straight away. Why? Because I want to leave the option of lying open to me. I want to leave that door open. I want to come out when I want to come out. And God provides every avenue to make victory possible, you know, for the people of Israel. Every avenue to make victory possible. But at the same time, he doesn't make defeat impossible either. Because it's a choice. And it's the same choice that we have today. I can make choices that can lead to my biggest victories or my biggest failures. And the distance between a great victory and a great defeat is one step. But here's the great news this morning, guys. A failing in my life does not make me a failure. A failing in your life does not make you a failure because the distance between failure and the next victory, victory is exactly the same. One step. One step. That's all it is. And so after chapter 7, brilliantly we get chapter 8. But what would Joshua have been thinking now? I think he'd have had a bit of self-doubt. I think he would have been thinking things like, what was I thinking taking this job? What made me think that I could do this job? What made me think I could get these people out and into another land? What made me think I could do that? I should have done better. You know, Aiken was my fault. I didn't say something right. I didn't do something right. And I think Joshua heard all of those voices. And so do we. Maybe when we've lost that job or we failed that exam or our relationships are going a bit, a bit wild and a bit out of control, we start hearing those voices. And then what we do is we add our own to them. So we disqualify ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we add to the volume that we're hearing in our head right there and then. But God used Joshua's faith to show us what we need to do with ours. And that's why chapter 8 is so important. God called Joshua to go again. And God is calling you to go again this morning. To go again. Because God still trusted Joshua with the job. With the job he'd called him to do right from the very beginning. And he's still calling Joshua to that job. And he's still calling you to the job that he's called you to do. So into Joshua chapter 8, we're just going to read the first few verses. And the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Well, there's a change. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. He to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. And I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they'll say they're running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you've taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Really big differences with the first time they went in this one. You see, the first one, Joshua consulted spies. He consulted people. 
the second time he consulted God. The first one, he stayed at home. He didn't even bother to go. The second one, he's there leading the way. The first attack involved a small group of men. The second one, loads, loads more. The first attack had no tactics and no plan at all. The second one had a sophisticated strategy. What's the point I'm trying to make? It's this. Joshua trusted God and not himself, and so God gave Joshua the plan. Try again. Do it my way. And Joshua went on a journey of trust that he would never forget. That he would never, ever forget. So how do we start our trust journey? Well, firstly, there's a couple of things that, um, that I want to say that trust isn't. Trust doesn't mean an indifference, you know, or a carelessness, or, a, or let it go. We'll just see where the wind takes me. Lying on your lilo, floating out to sea. That's not trust. Trust is a positive action. Something we have to do for ourselves. It doesn't mean shutting our eyes to the facts around us either. It doesn't mean living in denial of something. It means seeing things as they really are, but seeing God beyond them. Seeing God bigger or greater than I need. And the dictionary definition of trust, you know, is really, really interesting. It's this. It's a firm belief in the honesty and reliability of another. And I want to declare over you this morning, there's no better definition of our God than this one. A firm belief in the honesty and reliability of another. You see, I let people down. I can break people's trust. Not because I really want to, but because I'm human. And because stuff happens. So when I'm looking at trust, and when you're looking at trust this morning, and loads of stuff will be going through your mind, don't measure your experience with people and trusting them against the experience of trusting God, who wants you to live a life as good as it gets. There is no comparison between trusting people and trusting God. Because God can be trusted. But God knows this is a tricky situation for us too, and we want God to prove himself before we trust him this is God he wants us to trust him so he can prove himself so he can prove himself so if God had to search my tent like Aikens was searched I wonder what he'd find if God searched your tent this morning and he dug a bit under the surface I wonder what he'd find would he find stuff or would he find trust I'd hazard a guess this morning that maybe it would find us in the real dilemma of being somewhere in the middle You know, there's a great line in that song that says, between the altar and the door. And that's a Casting Crown song, and um, they use that line quite a bit. And it always used to, to bother me. I never quite really understood what they were trying to say. Was it something about the Old Testament temple? Was this trying to find this door? And as I was preparing this, I felt God say to me, this is what it is, Jane. We can be here this morning, and you can be agreeing with absolutely everything I've said. You can see it with clarity. You can see it clearly. You can, you can really make sense of what God is trying to say to you. And you're standing there this morning thinking, I've got this. Of course I'm going to trust you, God. Of course I am. But between here and the door at the back, something happens. Something happens. We lose it. We lose it. And the only way I could think of explaining this was when I was a child and my mum used to wash my hair in the bath and um, with shampoo and she'd be frothing it up frothing it up and then she'd come to rinse it off and it'd all run in my eyes and really sting and I'd, I was a whingy kid and I'd whinge all the time about it, it was hurting me mum it's hurting me and she'd go just look up Jane for goodness sake just look up if you look up it's physics it'll run off the back of your head nothing will go in your eyes okay okay 
next night exactly the same washing the hair running to the face you know I'd be virtually screaming the place down I hated it absolutely hated stuff coming into my eyes because I couldn't see and mum would say to me you trust me trust what I'm saying and I do trust you mum but I just couldn't do it and in the end she got so fed up with me she gave me a face cloth and she put it over my eyes and she'd go the rinse is coming now and we'd rinse it off and not all of it would go in my eyes some of it still would so I was still having that stinging sensation but it was nowhere near as bad because I kept looking down all the time and I don't know what it was I trusted my mum implicitly but at that moment something fearful took hold of me and for the life of me I could not look up I couldn't look up and I think that's what happens with us sometimes we're looking down and our experiences and our circumstances are running into our eyes and they're blinding us guys and they're stinging us and we can't see clearly and we're looking down and I think God wants to say to us this morning like he said to Joshua it's time to stand up it's time to stand up and it's time to look up and not let those things blind you and sting you and take your sight away from what I'm trying to do in your life and what I'm trying to do with this circumstance God had to tell Joshua to stand up again. Go again. Try again. Give it me again. And I want to invite us this morning, as we sing a final song, really, that if you want to start your trust process with God, or you want to move that on, or there's something that you're wrestling with, you're saying, God, I want to get in that wheelbarrow. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'm going to get in that wheelbarrow. I'm going to say, God, you are enough. I trust you. I'm going to go into that room. I'm going to let the door swing shut behind me. That will freak a few of you out. Let the door bang behind you and actually be fully present in the room and stay in the room long enough for God to do something with you this morning that may change your circumstances forever. And if it doesn't change your circumstance, I can guarantee it will change you. It will change you. So what this morning don't you fully trust with? And if I had to put a sentence up on the board, on the board, I'm at school, on the, on the screen, and that said this, I believe in God, but I don't fully trust him with, what would you end that sentence with this morning? What would come into your mind? I don't fully trust him with, what are you going in and out of that room trying to keep control of? trying to find an answer to, desperately wanting to give God control over it. It's almost like a tug of war battle. You're giving it to God and then picking it up. You're giving it to God and then picking it up. And as we sing, I want to invite you to stand as God invited Joshua to this morning. The same words from the mouth of God are coming out to us this morning. Stand up and look up. Look up. Trying to control everything and everyone will wear you out. It will not only wear you out, it will worry you and it will create friction in your relationships. That's a given. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Maybe it's something you battle with God about and it's often a wrestle for you. Make a decision this morning to start your trust journey with God. Start your trust journey with God. Move from God can be to God is enough for me. So when you feel that you want to stand and you want to respond to God in that question this morning, who wants to get in my wheelbarrow? As we sing, just feel free to stand and make your response to God in that time.